Welcome back to Dev Dive episode 13. I'm your host, Nighthawk. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Riot Legendary. And our guest today is Riot Mort Dog, principal game designer at Riot Games and a lead designer of TFT. Welcome to the show, Mort. Hey, thanks for having me. It's awesome to get you on. Um, this is definitely going to be a, a fun podcast because we have a lot of questions about sort of what your role is at Riot. And then we also have a lot of questions about how TFT works. So it's going to be a bit of a dichotomy. So to get started so off... Really, um, really, it's more about how do you get... How do, how do I win at TFT? Yeah, <laughs> how, how do we get better at TFT? We're both terrible. How, how does that work? That's it. <laughs> uh, so first off, can you explain your job titles? Uh, what does a principal game designer and lead designer do? And what's the difference between those two? Uh, sure. So principal designer basically is like your rank as far as like how long you've been a designer, what your skill is as a designer. Uh, so, for example, like an associate designer is somebody who's new to the design craft um, and sort of is learning how they go. A mid-level designer is sort of like introductory. They've done a bunch of stuff but can be trusted. Senior shows like higher level. And then when you start hitting principal level, that shows you've got like a ton of experience, can be trust trusted with a very difficult tasks, uh, leading projects, things like that. And so, like I said, that's sort of like the craft level. And then the lead designer actually has to do with uh, the like the project level. So separate from your task, like you could have a a small project, and a mid-level designer could be the lead designer of that small project. Um, likewise, a you know a bigger project might require a senior, or in my case, a principal designer to lead those projects. So that's kind of the difference. Awesome. So to start off, um, I think. The best question to start with is how did I, how did you actually get started in game dev? Yeah, so it, it's funny. I have one of those like stereotypical like I always wanted to do this stories. <laughs> I remember when I was graduating kindergarten, I have this memory of like the teacher saying, "You're going to grow up to make video games." <laughs> and so pretty much my whole life was like playing games, playing games, playing games. Uh, even when I wasn't allowed to play games, I would often read the like players' guides. So it was just like learning about the games and sort of seeing all the different maps. And it was fun to learn. Uh, I would take out paper and like start drawing my own games. I have like pa old papers of like me making a Nintendo RPG as a kid and sending it into Nintendo Power. Uh, so very much one of those like addicted to games growing up things. Uh, and then when I graduated high school, it was like, OK, I either want to go into game design or be a teacher. And so I went to University of Washington for one semester and realized neither of those were achievable there. <laughs> so dropped out, uh, worked at McDonald's for another year, trying to figure out where to go next. And that was where I found DigiPen. Uh, DigiPen is a school mm. up in uh, Redmond, Washington. Uh, and at the time, they only had an engineering degree and an art degree. And being as I can't draw very well, uh, I was like, well, this is the best chance I have at getting in the industry, so I'm going to take the programming degree, even though I have no interest in programming, had never done it before. Uh, went there for two years and honestly struggled through it a little bit. It was hard for me because, again, no previous programming experience. Um, but crazy, fate, as fate would have it, an internship at Nintendo Software Technology opened up and they were like, hey, we're looking for one student, either a junior or a senior. And I was a sophomore at the time. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you got to let me apply. I'm begging you. Like, I'm telling you, you got to let me apply. Right. And, and they did. And sure enough, I, I took their test, took their interviews. 
took it like more seriously than I've ever taken anything before in my life and passed their level design test and got the internship there. And then from there, so that was like my first step in. And then from there, you know, did the internship, finished school, got hired full time. And the rest is kind of history. Cool. So you started out in, as at Nintendo, um, but yep. I wanted to actually go back a little bit because you were talking about when you were a kid, you always loved video games. Was a video game that you played growing up that that made the biggest impression on you? I mean, so I got I started with the NES, you know, so pretty pretty much Mario, Mario Two, Mario Three, all the Marios. Um, you know, you remember the old like Ninja Turtles one game? Yeah, um, the Mega Man's uh, a lot of the Mega Man series. So for me, it was all about those NES titles. You also have like the random silly ones like MC Kids, which is a McDonald's kids game, but it was actually like a decent platformer. Um, Bubble Bobble, stuff like that. Yes. So I played a lot of those console games uh, growing up. There was a, um, a Nintendo game that I played growing up, and I, I'm not nearly as old as either of you, you two, but we still had a Nintendo. <laughs> We saw it in Nintendo. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's called Bible Buffet. Um, yep. It was a, it was a, I, a fun game. Oh, I don't remember that fun one. Game. It was weird. It was really weird. <laughs> if you go I, back I and played watch- through the old Bible Adventures game where you had like the Noah's Ark game and those games were really hard and really bad. Yeah. But like when you're a kid and you have these games, you're like, I get to play games. I'm playing yeah. this one. Like, yeah. yeah, I think on, on, on our Nintendo we had Duck Hunt and Mario, the, the dual cartridge. Um, right. Bible Buffet. Um, we had this Star Wars game uh, where Luke is like, he's trying to climb into one of the AT-ATs and he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of, yeah. uh, there was a long, long time ago for me. I, this is on the very back haze of my memory. I'm more of a Nintendo 64 child. That's, that's where most yeah. of my memories come from. Gotcha. Um, yeah, yeah Nintendo awesome. 64 was my teenage years. So yeah, man, Nintendo 64. We played we played Zelda and an Ocarina of Time or uh, Majora's Mask. Both of those yep. games played them to death. Um, right, Goldeneye, of course. Oof, what else? What were what were your guys' 64 games? Uh, Pokemon Snap was a big one. I'm there you know, go. Topical there. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say. Yeah, um, but also the the Pokemon Stadium games, Banjo Kazooie, right. the Mario Parties, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Star Fox sixty four was one that, oh, that Star- I got into. Oh, for. Yeah. yeah, I remember paying ninety dollars at KB Toys for that game because it came <laughs> with the Rumble Pack. Yeah, okay, the Rumble Pack, hell yeah, man. I who doesn't I, love the Rumble I know Pack. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, I, I know we've said it. I think in other um, shows, but like I, I was normally a generation behind. Um, so like whenever the PlayStation, I think the PlayStation came out and then that was, that came after the N64 or it was either the PlayStation 2, one of those, um, the, the price dropped on the 64. So I got the 64 with like 16 games because they were all like, well, no one's going to play these anymore. So (laughs) 64 represented a big shift in my parents. Uh, Mm. like I had the NES, they didn't like how much I played it. So they refused to buy me a SNES. It was like. (laughs) You can't no SNES. We're trying to like cut down your games, and I would always yeah. go to neighbors and play SNES games. <laughs> and finally, they realized this isn't going away. Let's encourage mm-hmm. it. And so, my dad buying the N sixty four was like a big deal. And that day where oh, we yeah. played Mario sixty four was huge. Oh man, that's yeah. uh, I, I think my dad was he was a big kid. Like he had me when he was 
20, I think. Mm-hmm. So like he was a big kid and um it it was fun to see I think the the shift like he would buy the games because he wanted to play and then he would involve me with it. Yep. And then eventually there was this crossover where I'm like, I want it because I want to play and I'm going to involve you with my, with my game time. Nice. nice. <laughs> it's the opposite for me. Um, my parents, I'm the youngest. So my parents had me when they were ah. like 40, 45 or something like that. Um, okay. Okay. So my dad would never touch a video game. He was like, <laughs> when we were really young, he would try to play like Halo or something with us, but Oh uh, yeah. Never never really took off for him. He was a very practical man. Or he is a very practical man. Um <laughs> I he see. likes carpentry and, and like woodworking and stuff like that. So video games you, growing up his my, alley. My grandfather is very similar. Uh you know, grew up in a, on a on a farm, very practical, like you said. Uh had a wood woodworking shop in the barn. Um, but one of my favorite memories is I think it was like my sixth grade year, somewhere around there. Um I still had an NES that that functioned. Um and uh, I would come home from school and every now and again, my grandpa would just be in my room playing Mario. Like nice. that's, he's just that Aww. he would be in there enjoying it. I'm like, I loved like not going in right away, just watching him play a level or two. So that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> All right. Hey, tangents galore. Um, <laughs> if you could go back and talk to young Mort when he was playing uh, on his SNES or his his N sixty four. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What advice would you give him? Uh, honestly, like just don't let anyone distract you until you know. Um, you know, it's one, it, it sounds cliche, but one of those like as long as you really set your mind to it and push, you know, forward, uh, you can do it. And so all those times when I was like drawing the Nintendo RPGs and fake stuff like that, and everyone would be like, "Oh, you're wasting your time!" Like, you aren't wasting your time. Keep going uh you know so yeah it's awesome um i think i mean that that advice can be used for pretty much anything growing up because if you don't have a dream like what are you working towards you're just gonna yeah do nothing (laughs) yeah i I think Uh, i've been fortunate enough that i followed that dream real hard and (laughs) you know it worked out and so yeah turned out pretty good you never really have people um who are at the top of their game and you ask them that question and they're like yeah, I kind of just did nothing for. I, I, don't know, I played <laughs> stumbled into it. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does happen. Uh, that, but... <laughs> I mean, that's actually a good uh, a good follow up to that. It'd be um, for the people out there that may be getting into it a little later in life. You know, like uh, you know, twenty, twenty five, or even in the thirty range. Like, like, oh God, I, I want to be a game designer. I figured that out just now. Like, what would be your advice in terms of? good first steps like if you like what what'll set you on the path um to be successful yeah this sounds it sounds like the draw the owl advice but uh Mm. (laughs) start making games and what i mean by that is like don't think of like oh i have to start programming like a whole 2d platformer no 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 like honestly like make a board game on paper and like have someone play it and start understanding like okay, what are players' reactions? How do they, what do they find fun? What do they not? What's going on here? Because the more you do it, like anything, the better you get at it. And so, you know, the first game you make is going to be awful and you're going to learn from it. And you're going to learn that like, oh, players didn't even understand that like I made this whole rule and it's invisible. And yeah, so just like, just get out there and start doing it. Right on, right on. That sounds very much like 
my D and D advice. Like whenever, <laughs> like people are like, "Oh, I love D and D. I wish I could DM." I'm like, "Okay, go DM a game. Just yeah. do it. Like, you know, okay. that's right. that's how you're gonna learn." Yeah. What's the worst that can yeah. happen? Are you gonna make an orc do something <laughs> kill, wrong? <laughs> kill, kill the party. Ah, that's all right. Roll a new I mean, that's, part of, that's part of the Even, game. The, the first the first day I worked at Nintendo, they were like, "Here, here's this level editor. Go make levels." Yeah, and I remember that day we were like so enthusiastic, and I made like 18 levels. And my boss looks at them and gave him about eight minutes and was like, mm. "These are all awful. <laughs> like, holy crap, these are awful. Here's why they're awful. Yeah, go do it again. You know." And yeah. it's like, even as a professional game designer at that time, it's like, yeah, you you got to learn pretty quickly. So. Yeah, and that's so what, actually um... for. Oh, sorry. Oh, I'll say just for a quick plug. You know, there there are plenty of people out there that 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 element that more we brought up, like find someone to help you understand why something is bad, right? Because knowing something's bad is one thing; knowing why something yep. is completely different. Um, yep. and there might be people out there like, well, I don't have anyone around me, or I'm not in an area where there are people who can really give me good critical feedback, right? Like. And that, like, don't discount the player feedback, right? Don't discount your friend's feedback. Um, but also, we live in the world of the internet, right? Like, go out there, find game communities. Go out there, find people online. Like, try to connect with professional game designers, even if they are, quote-unquote, you know, associate or lower level. I mean, they're, yep. they're going to have knowledge that you don't, right? Like, don't ever discount that. Here, here's a Nintendo lesson for you. Mm. Uh, one of the things we always used to do was called the 35 year old mom test. And I will say two years ago, I realized, wait a minute, I'm 35. And that made me feel really freaking old. Uh, but we would bring in like, you know, stereotypical moms who like don't play video games mm -hmm. to play the games. Because if you can make a game that they enjoy, mm. you can make a game anyone enjoys. Making a game a kid enjoys is easy. Kids will play damn near anything, <laughs> you know? Um, that's true. And that's where you'll actually learn yeah, a lot. Right. So like, even if you don't have somebody who enjoys games nearby, find somebody who doesn't, who's willing to give you the time and like, yeah. see if you can get them to have fun. So, That's good so, advice. I don't know if I missed it. Did you say what games you worked on when you were at Nintendo? Uh, I didn't, but I can say. Um, so there were six Mario versus Donkey Kong titles. The first of which was Mario versus Donkey Kong 2, and then they all have a bunch of subtitles. Okay. All the way to uh, Mini Mario um, Amiibo Challenge was the last one. There was a game called Crosswords Plus, in which I learned more about crossword puzzles than I ever wanted to learn. But that that was the thirty-five-year-old mom game. Uh, it was. It was. Um, I never thought I'd be a crosswords puzzle expert, but you know, and oh man, that one was important because learning that you can put your effort into a game you don't enjoy is a mm -hmm. very important lesson. Yeah. And then the last one is called Aura Aura Climber. It is a two-dollar game you can download. And it's honestly one of like the coolest games that I think only about sixty thousand people played. So why does that sound so familiar? I'm gonna look it up real quick. That right, sounds everyone, really familiar. Everyone in, in listening to the show right now, go download or or climb. Was it for the Wii? It was for a uh, 3D. You, it was for DSI originally. Ooh, you can get it on okay. 3DS. Um, well, 3DS but it's is two dollars. Um, and like that was a game that like imagine being a mid-level designer and being told like you can make whatever game you want, as long as you can make it in three months. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was like, that was a cool moment where it was like, oh, shit. right. So what, what oh, is the, okay. the process for making a game from the ground up in three months look like? So what happened was at the time, the DSi was coming out 
And this was the first time Nintendo was going to have an online shop. And mm-hmm. they needed stuff for that online shop. And they had a plan where they were going to have games at different price ranges. It was like $2, $5, $8, and $10. And they were like, we've got some $10 stuff. We've got some $5 stuff. But we don't have much $2 stuff. So we need a $2 game. And you have three months to make that $2 game. And at the time, they actually had this idea where they were like, use the mini Mario boss battles from our previous game and turn that into a game. And we tried for a bit, and it didn't go anywhere. It was really awkward. And finally, one day, I just had this idea where I'm like, what if instead of the mini Marios, we just had this character, and they jumped up from point to point, and along the way, they were collecting stuff. And I had this whole sketch, and my boss was like, okay, let's give it a try. And so the team of like four of us started working on it. And basically every month they're like, I don't know, it's okay, but keep going. <laughs> so it was like a really stressful three months, but by the end we had this like really tight put together project. And so they let us ship it and we shipped this $2 game in like three and a half months. That's crazy. That's amazing. That's like yeah. almost like game jam levels of, of crunch. Yeah, it kind of awesome. was. It kind of was. <laughs> Oh, when is the new, when is the Riot Game Jam this year? Are they going to do one? Uh, I think they are. I don't know when it is. I think obviously Corona has also thrown a bit of a monkey wrench into it, but I I think they are planning on doing one. So, Yeah, I always look forward to those. I I really like uh, at least watching, if not playing the games that come out of those. Um, One of the (laughs) ones that sticks in my mind was Chogath Eat the World. That was a while ago now. Uh, Yep. Yep. That was a lot of fun. I still... I think I still have that downloaded on my old phone. There was that one, and then there was like the the arcade one from a couple of years back that was really yeah. nice. Oh, or was yeah, it Blitz? Yeah. I remember the Blitz Poro Roundup. That one. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. All right. What's uh? What's something that motivates you, or what is something that you motivates you the most working on TFT? I mean, getting to be the lead designer on a project that is played by millions of people every day to the point where like a bunch of players like have made this their, their life. You know, the streamers that play it constantly uh, players are playing this every day. Uh, They're just so enthusiastic about it to the point where like, you know, I'm getting messages, hundreds of messages a day. Uh, It's like, I look at that and I'm like, every game designer on the world would kill to be in that position. And I'm lucky enough to be there. So, like, enjoy it, be happy with it, and just, like, do the best you can. Because, again, anyone would kill to have that job. <laughs> that's such awesome. Uh, that's an awesome perspective. I think you're right. It, it's it's such an, a great place to be in. And, and I think that would be motivation enough for, for most people. So, yeah, I mean, answer. again, like, I go back to me being, you know, a kid, 12, 15 years old. What did I want to do? be the lead designer on a cool game that everyone's enjoying and like, you know, don't take that for granted, you know? So. so to put, maybe to put a little context or help a little context for uh, a point we made before um, about being a lead designer and what that means versus a principal designer, mm-hmm. what like, like what would uh, maybe a, a common cycle or a, a maybe a week look like for you? Like, obviously you don't have to go into detail, just yeah, yeah. generals. Yeah. So basically at any given point, from a design perspective, um, it's up to me to be responsible for the quality of the game. And so this could be a short-term problem, like I'll use one right now, like Urgot is something that players are really not having fun against, and we need need a short-term solution very quickly. So it's Mm. my job to work with the other designers to come up with a solution 
And as the lead designer, I have the sign off on like, wait a minute, is this going to fix the problem? Or mm -hmm. like, no, I like that. That's great. So it's up to me to work with the other designers to come up with the best call, Let's chip mm -hmm. that out. But also like the longer term problems, right? Where it's like, okay, we just shipped uh, Galaxies, but four and a half months is killing our team. And four and a half months at around month three, players start to get bored. What do we do? Mm. Working with production to think about new strategies and like, hey, what if instead of doing a full set every four and a half months, we do half sets, uh, you know, coming up with that strategy. And so like yeah. every element of the game, I'm there working to like make sure we're on the right track and the game is as quality it can be. And oftentimes that's filtering other people's ideas into the best it can be. Right on. Yeah, and I think the the half set landed really well, in my opinion. It, it really refreshed the game um, in a way that just adding a couple more units I don't think really ever got to. So congrats yep, for that. That, was, that seems like a, a That was the theory, and I'm not going to lie. There were nights I wasn't sleeping. You know, it's just like, <laughs> is this going to work? Uh, but so far, so far, it seems to be like S plus we hit our goal. Um, nice. So... And it doesn't help that like the meta right now is damn near one of the healthiest it's ever been. So mm. that has helped too. Yeah, yeah. Cool, um, cool. It's like that with League right now too. I think at least from what I've read, I'm not. I'm nowhere near a League of Legends expert, but from what I've read, um, we're at some of the highest champion diversity in both pro play and um, just nice. solo queue that we've ever been at. So that's. that's I admit, awesome. with my with my TFT time going up, my League time has gone down. <laughs> two years ago year and a half ago i might have been able to have a good conversation about league <laughs> now i'm like i sneak an aram in once every two weeks or so oh man I, I'm... I'm worse than that i i play earth if i ever play <laughs> yeah. league i yes. play earth that's yeah man uh we, we had um you weren't here for this episode larry but we had alex uh ranger on a couple weeks or yeah yeah ago now and we talked about earth and he had he went on such a rant about how he hated earth it was hilarious <laughs> He's just like, shout out to Alex, by the way. Great QA, great QA. Oh, man. Love working with Alex. Alex is yeah. such a great guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, coming back to to what motivates you the most, what would you say is something that you struggle with the most? Oh, uh, okay. So, one of the things, as I mentioned, is that I've been a gamer growing up and addicted to games and playing games and whatever. And I, again, I don't take my job for granted, and so. I am probably the worst example of healthy work-life balance and disconnecting. <laughs> um, every, like I said, I'm I'm thinking TFT every moment to the point where it's kind of unhealthy, um, and so I struggle with like disconnecting. Um, and then one of the things I also struggle with, but I've gotten a lot better about this, is like expecting my peers to also put a similar level of engagement in their work. Uh, because again, it's just like stupidly unrealistic. Most people should have healthy work-life balances. Uh, and so that's something I struggle with quite a bit personally. It's a very personal problem. I don't think most people you talk to have this problem, but <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. There's, yeah. Uh, I guess the question is how, like, what are some of the, uh, what are some of the things that you're doing to prevent that, that high level of burnout? Because like you said, you know, um, you don't find too many people that have that uh, that that as a challenge, but the ones that do, you know, they burn hard, they burn fast, right? Yeah. Like, um, so it's interesting because when I was at Nintendo, uh, we didn't really crunch that much. We were fortunate enough that our projects were not that bad. Um, uh, me and an engineering buddy 
uh, we're both kind of like the the high performers uh, would do well. And I would work like 50, 55 hour weeks. I always had this line though, where it was like, okay, I'm done today. I'm going home. Easy cheesy. And I always had a healthy line. Whereas my engineering buddy, he was much harder to disconnect. He would like work those 70s and those 80s. And it was like, I got to finish. I'm like, dude, you, you got to go home. And as you <laughs> mentioned, you know, around year six, year seven, he, he started burning out. He's just like, why am I doing this? What is the point? Uh, and, you know, he and I talked through it and we got him to a healthier spot. And now he works like he's not at Nintendo anymore. He's at a different company, but he works the healthy 40, 50. Uh, so for me, up until recently, I've always been good at just like finding that line where it's like, wait a minute, I'm tired. Nope. Let's go do something else. You know, yeah. just distract yourself. Because um, I find that like it's not about like a set number. It's not 40 or 50 or 80. It's mm-hmm. what works for you. You know, and if you're not enjoying it and you're tired, go do something else. Um, now, admittedly, with TFT, this is actually the first time in my career where I have not been able to do that very well. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm actually learning as I go, to be honest here. Of like, right on. How do I combat this? Where it's just like I feel like I have the world on my shoulders sometimes, and if I take a day off, the world will fall apart, which it won't. I know that, but you know. Do you yeah. feel like um, your struggles for disconnecting have gotten harder when, since since the lockdown, since you are working from home? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, the fact that like I'm literally sitting here on my home PC and my work PC, like yeah. right here, and it's like, oh, sweet, I'm done working. Now I'm going to go to my relaxation spot. Oh, Wait, oh, oh, that's right here. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no, it's yeah. it's way worse. Yeah, I think that sentiment has pretty much been echoed by everyone that we've asked that question to. Um, it is hard. It's it's hard. Um, some things that, I mean, they have. There's all these recommendations that you see online. They're like, try to separate your work zone from your your like. So it doesn't. I mean, first of all, with my six bedroom mansion, I would yeah, gladly exactly. do that. And yeah, no problem. There's like it was actually a big deal for the the couch back here was mm. in a different room, and that mm-hmm. used to be my wife's computer because we like shared oh, wow. the office. Yeah, but yeah. when the work from home stuff started, I'm like, I need the space. Yeah. So we moved her out into that room and put the couch here. And it's just like, you got to do what you got to do. So well, that makes sense. It made me look at my couch. I move? No, you probably. Put your couch <laughs> in your office, Larry. And then just yeah. move, I should, move well, somewhere else. <laughs> no, what I should do is I should take my couch and move it to Mort's place. And then, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, I'm just get extra room. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now that's that's an untapped idea right there. Instead of <laughs> working from home, why don't everyone just go to somebody else's house and work from their house? And then <laughs> at the end of the day, you switch you places. Yeah, you flip. Yeah, see? And that yeah. way you, there you, yeah, go. you get the best of both worlds. You I mean, see no right, flaw well, in this plan. None <laughs> none. Get all the stuff from their fridge. I mean, there's no there's no downside. Make sure it's stocked up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh I guess that that's actually another question um to ask has the work from home and that uh that hard hard to disconnect uh aspect made you like pick up hobby uh, hobbies wow hobbies or or uh made you disconnect in different ways that you may not have otherwise been privy to uh, i'm probably not the best example of this because the one hobby i have is streaming tft <laughs> is kind of work um it's okay so it's not really the healthiest thing um other than that, though, no, to be honest, like, I, yeah, I, I, 
admittedly use a bit too much of my time for that um, as well as spending time with the kids. And so like, that's kind of like all my time and right. It is what it is. So yeah. gotcha. I, well, I mean, you're still anyone. enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I envy anyone who can sit down and, and relax while streaming, like have, have that be their relaxation time because it, I wouldn't it's call a it relaxation time. Yeah. I'd call it a hobby. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 work. I mean, it's hard. Um, and I don't. I'm not. I don't even stream very much anymore. But um, there was a time where I spent probably ninety, a hundred hours a week streaming. Um, and it was just it, it's it it's very unhealthy in terms of like the work life balance because you'll just be like, what's the difference between me playing a game and me playing a game with the lights and the camera on? Yep. Um, yep. And it, it can be hard to mentally distinguish those. Yep. All right. <laughs> well, that was that was awesome. Um, what's something that you wish everyone knew about people who work at Riot? And I think this is a question that I like asking <laughs> writers because they always have different answers. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I think for me, the big one is like, a lot of people will look at one or two people at Riot, maybe high-profile people at Riot, and they'll be like, everyone's like that. And especially with some of the bad news that was out there, right, with all the, the different stuff going on, it was like, oh, and Riot is completely like this. And it's really not. I'm not going to say there's no bad apples, because there certainly are. But, like, there's probably, you know, 3,000 really awesome people that are awesome and care and don't know how to disconnect from work because they love what they're doing so much and are addicted to work and just want to make players happy. And like, they're just humans that sometimes break down when players aren't having a good time. Like we just want to make people happy. Most of us. And I wish players just realized we were all human and just most of us are trying to be awesome people. I'm not, I, I try to be an <laughs> asshole, but I, any chance I get. All right. Well, think- there are exceptions. <laughs> The other the other top answer there for that question is um, not everyone works on the balance team. <laughs> so stop, oh asking, stop asking for <laughs> balance changes for the artists, or stop yeah. asking for bug fixes from the the comms people. Because even as someone who is in charge of balance of TFT, I love it when people <laughs> message me and they're like, "Why does Thresh do still this and Summoner's Rift?" And you're like, "Dude, uh, not even the right game. Like, come on." Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's something that is a major advantage for Valorant, is because it's such yeah. a um, disconnected game from the rest of what Riot's been doing that yeah. people can finally understand that hey, this is not the same game. People aren't going to be making the same. Not the same people making the yeah, same. Yeah, not the thing. same people. Yeah. But who knows? I, I, I feel like even the Valorant devs though probably go into a Valorant game and get someone being like, "Yeah, but tell your buddies to nerf Thresh," you know, like <laughs> yeah. Oh, the uh, dude, one. the uh, fix your client. I uh, hate it. Go fix your client. I'm like, I, I will get right on that. Whenever I get that on my stream, my snappy response is like, "All right, let me just go out to the garage and get my hammer, and I'll get right to it." Like, yeah, right. <laughs> what do you want? Like, <laughs> let me just go put on my my client fixing gloves, uh, my client yeah. fixing glasses. See, I wish there was like a wish there's like a a switch just like on the wall that you can make an audible sound. Be like, okay, one second, you know, click. All right, there you go. We're up and running. They That's a are. Good prop right there. One, one of the other weird. one of the other good ones I did was like we were working on rank rewards, which finally came out. Thank God. Um, oh yeah. And they, and they were taking a while, and and someone joined my stream was like, "Where are the rank rewards?" And I'm like, "Yeah, just right over there in the closet. When I feel like <laughs> it, I'll fucking get them. Like, what do you want?" <laughs> grab this box of uh, Victoria's Silver Ring. Uh oh, drop. Yeah, it. yeah. Oh no. 
That would Fine, be really I guess I'll ship them. Just sit there, just have a box. It's like right here. Like jiggle, 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 yeah, jiggle. Yeah. <laughs> honey, honey, where did you put the... <laughs> the There's my ranked rewards. Nice, nice. Uh, oh, oh. One last thing. Um, mm-hmm. the the my friend got banned from from league for not oh. doing anything. Can you yeah. take a look at his case? That one, I see that one yep. on like every yep. tweet. That's a good one from from Mariah. They're like, hey, um. Yeah. You know what I really need to do because I, I, we, my, our group of friends, Ben and I will play League every now and again with, with, uh, with a, with a group, and um, they, it, it's gotten to the point they've, they've dealt with it for years that they start taking bets when someone goes, oh look, a rioter, oh hey, Mister Rioter, or anything like acknowledging that at all, they will start making bets on like, what do you think they're gonna ask? Like, what's the next? R- what's R- the next? Oh, thing? Nice. RP <laughs> yeah. is one of them. RP, um, RP, yep. the client is on the rise. Yep. Um, <laughs> yep. Something very toxic. The one we used to do is at the time I didn't have Riot in my name mm. and uh, Riot Jag at the time did and we would play together or with any other one who did and like you troll them and you're like, oh my God, it's a rioter. Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, no. I, feel, I feel like you've lost that, that level of anonymity. Now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's real bad when I get in like an ARAM game and they're recognizing me. I'm like, oh God. Yeah. That's why you need to have a secondary account that's just random letters and numbers that you can use to troll yep. Jag. Yep. <laughs> yep. So getting back on track, um, this is a question that we had last week that I, or last episode that I really, really liked and, and Ryan gave an excellent answer to. So I wanted to ask it again for you. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the definitive moments from your career that you'd like to share? Something that made you think, this is why I do this job. So I have one that stands out above all the others and it's really funny. Uh, we had just shipped Mario vs. Donkey Kong to March of the Minis. Uh, one, of, one of the subtitled ones. I think it was like the second or third one we shipped. Uh, it was the one that sold like 3 million copies. It did really well. Oh, nice. Uh, and I think it was about two months after we shipped it. And my wife and friends and family, we all went out to Outback. Uh, we're just waiting in line at Outback. And, you know, it's like they hand you your thing. It'll be like 15 minutes, blah, blah, blah. And as we're sitting there waiting, there's a kid, like three kids over, playing his DS, playing the game. Oh, that's cool. And it was like, holy <laughs> shit, he's playing the thing I made. <laughs> and like, that moment will always live in my mind is like, oh, right. People love this stuff. You know, like this is, this is great. And and it's funny. Cause like riot, I think sometimes takes that for granted. Cause it's like, oh yeah, we're just kind of the biggest game in the freaking world. Like whatever. <laughs> and you have been for forever. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, as a, as the Nintendo developer who like, you know, you're not the big stuff. You're like a side third, you know, C tier Nintendo developer. It was like, whoa, they do like this stuff, you know? And it was, like, earth-shattering for me at the time. Something like that um, on a much smaller level happened to me once. It was really funny. Uh, I was at a convention, and the night before the convention started, uh, me and my friends just did a, a, a stream from the hotel room. We were drinking and, at, like, answering questions and stuff. Um, and we had a, a decent amount of people coming in. I think it was, like, 50 or 100 or so. And the next day, I was walking the convention floor, and somebody's just like, hey, I know you. <laughs> I was watching nice. your stream last night. I was like, oh, wow. It was literally the that's first cool. and only time that's ever happened. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, but it feels good, right? It, feels it, good. Felt, it felt really cool. And he's like, yeah, it, was, it looked like you guys were having fun. Um, yeah, that was funny. On a much smaller scale, but 
it was a it was a cool feeling yeah i haven't really been anywhere interesting since like i got tft big or whatever but like yeah it'd be interesting to go to pax nowadays and see if that happened or something yeah yeah riot riot hasn't done um a huge presence at many conventions for the past few years i don't think um yeah it used to be pax was a big one summoners con yeah. did, you, did you ever hear about summoners con Mm-mm. that was a long time ago um yeah. that was fun <laughs> I didn't nice. go, but I had a lot of friends who went. There was there was a lot of cool stories from that. Cool. Anyway, um, so if you weren't working on TFT or you weren't working at, working at Riot, uh, what would be your dream project? Like, what would be your so dream? if you had three months to make it, what would? You oh God, no, no! <laughs> <laughs> I take a three month vacation. No. <laughs> um, the 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 game I always I tell people that like if I don't make one of these before I retire then I'm a failure is I want to make a Metroidvania, ooh uh, you know the the Hollow Knights of the world the you know Guacamelees Ori's etc I want to make a Metroidvania I've my uh my sophomore yeah my sophomore student project was actually a co-op Metroidvania and the art was terrible and the controls were okay but like it was actually pretty cool. And like doing all the leveling systems, the items, the equipping, the level design, the flow, the puzzles, getting the double jump and accessing new areas, like all of that stuff. I just, I want to make one of those. Yeah. Uh, I was really, really, really late to the Metroidvania genre. Um, my first real, I think the first real Metroidvania game that I ever played was Hollow Knight. And it blew me away mm-hmm. so hard that I'm just like, this is, this is the genre of game that might be my favorite now. Um, I went back and I played. Have you played Symphony of the Night yet? No, I was. I I really want to go back and play like the original Vania games, um, mm-hmm. but I'm afraid that I won't be able to enjoy them because I don't have the the nostalgia factor. Um, I found play Symphony uh, of the Night. Symphony okay. of the Night has I'll aged say. well. Yeah, I was about to say. I I I think I'll give it a shot. Um, something that I did I do find a lot and not related to that is going back and playing games that other people have like major nostalgia for. Um, it hasn't worked out for me yet. Um, the big one was the- WoW Classic. WoW Classic, oh. <laughs> and all my friends, all my friends were like, "You have to play WoW. This is the best game ever made. Amazing." So, so game. I have a, I have a weird thing about nostalgia, and I admit before I say this that I might be completely biased, but I think everything in the two D era, especially in the SNES era, has actually aged really well. Mm-hmm. Those games are still really good. As soon as you cross over into the sixty four PS one era get out get <laughs> out those games have not aged well at all yeah so yeah, it's like you can true. yeah my, my theory well, based off nothing is because back in the snes days and the nes days is it was game design game design drove what the game was they didn't have any any really art or cool engineering yeah. or or gimmicky things to fall back on so i think yeah. that's why they they feel like they've held against the test of time because good design is good design. You know? Yep. Yep. That's a good point though. What you were saying about the N64 days is I think even the biggest Ocarina of Time fans, um, and I, I love Ocarina of Time, it's hard to go back and play Ocarina of Time like in the original format mm-hmm. with 3DS remake and, and be like, hey, yep. this is a really enjoyable game. Um, <laughs> yeah. And some of that is because you have played it to death, but some of it's because, hey, I mean the sea the sea controls are terrible. Yeah. The, the fishing minigame makes no sense. The, but the by, by comparison, Link to the Past is still a very enjoyable 2D Zelda. It's still really good. Yep. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean that makes a lot of sense. Um maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a shot. 
Um, I wanted to. I just wanted to finish my my wow anecdote because I thought this was really funny. Yeah. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Everyone, everyone I know, and uh, I know Larry, you played WoW. Did you ever play WoW? Uh, oh yeah, oh, oh yeah. You, you, okay, so you probably have like some level of nostalgia for it. I never played WoW. Mm-hmm. I only ever played one MMO, and it was a terrible one. Um, so okay. I didn't really have much nostalgia for it. I went into playing WoW Classic with with my friends, um, and my experience was waiting in the login queue for six hours, um, joining in a, a a very crowded starting zone with a bunch of people jumping around. And my most exciting experience from the entire event was learning how to conjure water and just giving it to random people uh, at an early level. Um, yep. And yep. I was part of the I was part of the area where uh, it was I think it was Hogger, where people were lining up to kill Hogger or something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you just you literally had to wait in a queue yep. for an hour. I remember seeing those screenshots. <laughs> yep, yep, the lines. Uh, yeah, this is this is fun for you guys. And they're like, yeah, it's great. <laughs> I'm like, all right. I guess I just See, I started playing WoW like a month after it came out, so thankfully I dodged a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I'm, I don't know how much of that is just from the classic being so, so popular at launch. Um, I'm sure if you went back and played it today, it would be a little bit better experience. But yeah, oof, yeah. it didn't hit me well. <laughs> <laughs> did you play classic uh, or WoW? Did you play the re-release of WoW Classic, Larry? No, no. Oh, oh no. Well, oh, wait. Uh, Sorry, no, no, I, I never, I never, I, I, uh, I I'm kind of like wowed out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, most of it, the, most of it, it's not because I've played the game a lot. I haven't. It's because everyone that I do play with are very hardcore, and they, they're like, it, it's, it's out, yay! Twenty four hours later, I'm max level, and I'm like, I, I just got <laughs> to the first quest area. Like, what the hell? And like Larry, you're too slow. I'm like, it's because I'm trying to play the game. That that yeah. is the most frustrating part of MMOs. Um, when you want to play with friends, is everyone plays at a different rate, and it, whether it's because yeah. they don't have the time, or they don't have the energy, or they just don't have like the the crazy lizard brain that just goes, "This is how I optimize <laughs> this XP gain perfectly." Um, so so it, one of my crazy gamer moments here is I have a I have server first level eighty human and rogue. Oh wow! So. Yeah, definitely know a, about a the like plaque, craziness. The plaque on the wall. <laughs> Be like, first, first human on on. I, I have the achievement. The achievement's still in the account. Feels good. Oh, that's awesome. Nice. That that is something that I really miss about um, older days of gaming. I feel like achievements have really lost a lot of their luster um, over oh, yeah. the years. Uh, you saw Not Steam really achievements, achievements but nobody really cares about Steam achievements. Um, <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. I don't. I never got into it, but the Xbox days where people would literally like grind for the most gamer score. Not yeah. me, oh, yeah. but I always thought that was really cool because people would have, like <laughs> yeah. they'd buy these no, terrible games just because they they have like the most numbers the gamer easiest points. to get. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> so yep. yeah. But I loved it. Um, oh man! Then it turns into like golf, where the lower the score, the better. <laughs> yeah, I totally lost lost track of what I was gonna say, but that's that's um, all right. I guess we'll just go back to the doc. Um, this is a, a tangent. <laughs> welcome towards... to the show. <laughs> yeah, welcome to, the, welcome to the show where we talk for 30 minutes about wow and then <laughs> have to refer <laughs> back to our, our document. Um, so this is a, this is a question and that you are, you are, you weren't going to be, but you are the first guest on the show that actually has a presence in the content creation scene. Like you are one of the few people at Riot um, and in the game dev world in general 
who makes YouTube videos. They stream, they, they produce content. Um, yep. As many, uh, there aren't many people in this position. So what have you learned from like that rare experience? Oh God, what have I learned? Uh, lots of things. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. It's really we'll, hard. <laughs> we'll start, we'll start small and then we'll work up. What inspired you to start? Yeah. So interestingly enough, uh, I'd worked at Nintendo for 11 years, been super, super busy, got the job at Riot. And the first like six months, I wasn't that busy. You know, you're a new person on the team. You're not having a, a ton of work. And so I had some extra time. And so I was like, I'm going to try making some YouTube content and streaming content. And I did that for a while. I think the most views I ever had was like 20. And my YouTube channel had like 200 subscribers. It was called First 30 of Game Design, where I play the first 30 minutes of a game, stop, and then be like, all right, would I play any more of this? And I just oh, would like okay. critique games based on that. Very, very narrow, very niche, but it was kind of fun. Uh, fast forward, then I started getting busy at Riot, lost interest in that. Uh, and then TFT got big, and I was doing, I'd been doing the Twitter thing for a while, just as like a, a contact. Um, but a lot of people were asking questions. And it was actually my wife who was like, you know, I bet they'd like to see you like stream the game and talk about the game. You should pick that up again. I'm like, all right, I'll give it a try. And so I booted that back up and it started doing pretty well. It was like people enjoyed it. So I kept doing it. Uh, and then like, interestingly enough, I wasn't going to do any YouTube stuff either. Like I'm just like, again, just here for people. Uh, but a lot of people were like, hey, I can't watch your stream, but I really want to see stuff. Can you post it on YouTube? And I'm like, all right, sure, no problem. And so I started picking that up uh, and just, yeah, I just kind of kept going. And it also allowed me to learn about the streaming ecosystem that I didn't really understand, where it's like, how are people making a living off of this? What the hell? Um, so it's kind of allowed me to learn about that as well. So yeah, streaming cool. and, and YouTube videos is, it's such a different place than it was 10 years ago. Um, yeah. Even five years ago, it, it constantly evolves. So like taking the time and the effort to really just sink your teeth into that sphere is very commendable. Yeah. It's, it's the, I'm sure you know, but it's, it's incredibly hard to like, just sit down and be like, Hey, I want to stream for you stream for a long time too. You do some long streams sometimes. I I've done a 24 hour stream. I did it on a challenge. <laughs> okay. Uh, that was, that was intense. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the other aspect too was like, Again, I always go back to when I was a kid growing up and playing games, what would I want? I would love to talk to a developer and be like, "Yo, why'd you do this in Smash Brothers? Or I'd love to hear your thoughts. And so now that I'm here, I figure like, again, treat other people the way you'd want to be treated. Like, cool. So that was the other yeah. big thing for me. So I'm sure it's a struggle to to have that level of communication at all times with people coming into your game, especially when, when times are um, unbalanced in the TFT community. Uh, what yep. are some of the things you've learned from from dealing with uh, all of those all of this communication that you do on your stream and, and on Twitter? There's so many. Um, I think one thing is just learning to take it all with a grain of salt. Um, people are emotional. People are passionate, and they're going to say things they don't mean. They're going to say things without thinking it through. And if you take it at face value, you'll go mad. Um, but instead, just kind of absorb it all. Um, Oftentimes I've had a lot of people like rage at me and I'll re simply reply like, cool, can you tell me why you feel that way? And as they start to like explain themselves, you can see their temper cooling down and being like, 
okay, cool. And then by the end, they're like, hey, you know, thanks for even just hearing me out. And it's like, hey, no problem. Um, yeah, the other one is like, and this one's hard, is just like, you can't take things personally. All you can do is be like, how can I make it better? Um, there are definitely days uh, that can be kind of rough. Uh, we've had some rough balance patches sometimes, and players are definitely like, what the hell? This guy should be fired. You know, those days suck, but um, you try to you try to just take it with a grain of salt and move on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I imagine um, that level of accessibility um, is something that people do abuse, but I'm sure it's very rewarding sometimes, especially when you have people coming into your stream. And I do frequent your stream sometimes when I'll see people being like, hey, this is the most fun I've had in this game in a long time. Thanks for all that you do. That's that's the thing that's really hard, but I've gotten better at it and you have to keep it in mind is like, I would say the honestly, the positive to negative ratio is probably somewhere in the like 95 to 5%. Like it's mostly positive. It's mostly people who are just like, holy crap, I love this game. I love that you're here. I love everything that's going on. It's great. Uh, and human nature, the flaw is to ignore all that and focus on the 5%. Mm-hmm. I always tell the story of the worst one I got, which was a Twitter account named Killmort's Kids that was messaging me. And it's just like, all right, cool. Okay. But again, you just have to push those aside and just be like, look at this millions of people who are having fun. Let's focus on that. Uh, one of the things that took me a while that I finally started doing it was I actually started like blocking people. It's just like, okay, you're you're clearly angry. You're clearly not here to have a nice construct. You know, I think I've only blocked like 20 people out of my 60,000 followers. So like, mm. again, like it's not that bad. Yeah. And I think that's I found out with the... that. Sorry, go ahead, Larry. I was like, I found out what the mute button did uh, about six months ago. Mute button well, for life. Um... On League or in Twitter? On no, on Twitter. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like the mute button because it's like a it's like a soft block where they won't, don't really yeah. know that you muted yeah. them. So it's something that you yeah. can you can use because I like you know not get I as was, much retaliation. I was very much in the same camp as Mort here. It's like well, I don't want to I don't want to just block people right because I, I I hold the idea of like well they're 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 allowed their opinion you know I'm whatever and my my professional twitter is is for that specifically right is to field mm-hmm. field those and be open in that sense but i'm like yeah they're allowed to have their opinion doesn't mean i have to listen to it, though so mute <laughs> i'm yeah. good yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we get a lot of that on reddit um where people are just like at the level of what mort was saying where these people would just do the the worst possible imagining um like come up with some terrible things they'll they'll uh getting doxxed is, is terrifying and that's happened to me a few times um Oof. and and i've been dos early dust i've been i've never been swatted luckily um yep. but there's a lot of terrible stuff that people that just absolutely if you just think about it for one second it's absolutely ridiculously insane what yep. length people yep. will go to over the <laughs> littlest things like for yep. you it's like i don't i don't like ergot so I'm going to do something ridiculous or yeah. I mean, it's like, Hey, they yep. removed my video about whatever, blah, blah, blah. It, and it, it's mind boggling what people will go to. Um, and maybe I shouldn't give attention to them, but yeah, it's really, uh, really scary what some people come out and do. Yep. Um, yep. all right. <laughs> it's a bit of a down. Yeah. Good, good show. 
Yeah. Good uplifting <laughs> show. I like it. So what's something that you wish people would stop asking you on your stream? Oh, okay. So TFT, <laughs> TFT is a game where it's like learning the systems and learning the intricacies and learning how everything interacts with each other is like kind of the excitement of a game. It's kind of a designer's game in that regard where it's just like, oh, but the item interacts this way and does this cool thing. And I wish more players felt that way because most players are like, tell me what to play. Tell me what is good. And so like the worst thing, the thing that just drives me off the walls is like, hey, the mid-set expansion just went live. I'm on stream showing it off. And the first thing I get asked is, what comps are strong? What comps are... It's like, go play the game. Go try it out. Go learn. Like, They're ah. all strong. All of them. They're all oh, strong. Every, every single one is equally... We, we, there's 20, 20 different strategies you can go, and we mathematically tested every single one so they have a, <laughs> a, a equal just, just percentage go. of win rate. <laughs> try, try them out. Discover for right. yourself. Ah! <laughs> all right. Just to, just to prove or just to back up more on this, I'm not a very good TFT. I, I play it like slot machines. I put in the coin and pull the lever and see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, but my friend was going, oh, man, Bard, he's not really that good. You don't really win with Bard. And I went, but I love Bard. So I, <laughs> I, I was like, I bought a Bard when I could. I was like, okay. And then uh, in the next two rounds, I got like four Bards. So I was like, heh <laughs> double bard and i just put two parts nice. and then i had i had like two brawlers and again i'm like i don't know what i'm doing and then in one round i leveled completely and i went oh look an ergot <laughs> now that may now that may have tilted the scales a little bit but but from there i was like i was level nine when people were hitting level seven great <laughs> i was like Love it. Ah, ah, suck it kevin his name's kevin suck it kevin yeah. I, i'm I, you kevin i can't win with bard <laughs> i'm the one with bard if yeah. you had just asked right, what is strong it. you would have ignored that bard and you wouldn't have had yeah, that exactly. fun experience like and it, that's the thing is uh it is a lot of fun i played it again i was able to get half that comp again and uh i was at 15 health at the bottom and came in second and i was like nice. like a phoenix feels and, good feels yeah. good yeah yeah it was just it was just a lot of fun really is Going off on a slight tangent on that, um, I really love how Bard's interactions work, where you can like get a, a, a Sojin and a Runa's Hurricane yeah. and like a Rage Blade. You just stack yeah. this Bard with all these damage items, but you don't yeah. really do damage. You just print XP, and you're just like, mm, give me yeah. that. Yeah. Do uh, I put a I put a blue buff on a Bard with a Sojin's and a Rage Blade, and I I couldn't tell if I actually did this or not, but this is what it looked like to me. It's like one time I actually got two meeps off of one. Like off of one, like one go. Yeah, I was like, "Ooh, nice." Auto meep, auto meep, auto. Yep. Meep. It was yeah. just, just Feels keep it good. going. Feels yeah. good. XP and machine go. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I really love about a game like TFT. Um, is people will get that experience and they'll get that like once in a lifetime, and it might actually be once in a lifetime experience. Um, and they'll some people will just sit down and chase that for the rest of that, that set or the rest of that expansion would be like, man, I had this excellent game one time with, with a poppy. <laughs> he was like 1v9ing the team. I just want to do that every single match, even if it's there, not good. There are still things in TFT I haven't done. Mm. Like, I've, I've never got nine Blade Master. Oh, wow. You know, I, I never got a five-star uh, or three-star Urgot. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's, there's so many different pinnacles, like, like peer, yeah. uh, peaks that you can get to. And yep. 
it's achievable because there are literally thousands of them, but it's also like fun whenever you get to HP, um, yep. which is one of the strengths yep. of TFT. And I think any good game has something like that. For for League of Legends, it's like oh, going having a perfect game where you carried super hard on on an assassin or having a support the game pentakill. where you saved yeah yeah a support game where you saved everyone as Janna and you got a pentakill or something like that yep. or you stole Baron yep. as Bard or something. Um, there's just so exactly. many. And they're not on the same level, but they're all very enjoyable for the player. And they're memories. Right. They're things you'll remember. Yep. Yeah. Creating memories. And I think, I don't know who it was, but somebody at Riot said that that was one of the goals of the, the games that they made were to create memories. Yep. Yeah, I right. got memed on that for a while, but I was like, memorable moments and like, heard your memorable <laughs> moments. You know, so. I mean, I mean you remembered it. So. Games for? <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Yep. Hey, hey. <laughs> it's true they remembered it. So here's a question <laughs> that, that I've been trying to ask everyone um, who comes on the show. What's something that you wish more people would ask you? I don't have a good answer for this one, only because I get asked so many yeah. different things. <laughs> uh, you know, that like, I don't know what's left to ask. Um, yeah, I really don't have a great answer. Like, I definitely get weird questions, you know, like the duck-sized horses and horses-sized ducks. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, I, I, I don't even know at this point. I've answered so many questions on Twitch that, like, yeah, I, I can't think of anything left to ask. Maybe we should stop. Uh, I guess that another question. way. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, just a maybe a little different avenue. It's like what. Um, and now I got to I got to phrase it in my head. I know what I want to ask, but now I got to phrase it right. Oh, um, what do you? Yeah, right. Well, like, what do you wish people would either realize or or come to you about when it when it comes to game design, right? And to give you an example, um, concept art, like the. Riot has uh, a video that that came out about oh so you or a playlist uh, about like you want to make video games and one of them is about concept art and what what concept artists do at mm -hmm. Riot mm -hmm. um, and the can, the premise is the misconception is like they draw these wonderful beautiful you know concepts and all these things and they're like no we we don't do any of that this is actually what we do um, so that's kind of the premise it's like yeah is there okay. a misconception with design. Uh, not entirely, but I think on under that line, the thing I would love if like TFT as an example, TFT is a very math heavy game, believe it or not, where it's like attack speeds, armor ratio, you know, stuff like that. If someone came in was like, "Hey, I just did the calculation and noticed that Vanguard is giving me eighty percent effective HP versus physical, whereas Brawlers is only twenty seven percent," can you explain why you did that? I'd be like. Yes, let's have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's fun for me. That's like, you know, spreadsheets and math. Hell yeah. <laughs> and Larry, Larry's so much better articulating these questions than I am. No, no, yeah, I mean, because it's, there is, it, like, that is what it is. Like, what questions do you wish people would ask? We're like, I don't know. I get asked a lot of questions. Like, all right, well, like, what is it about your job that you wish people knew about? Because... Mm. You know, that's really what where we're trying to go. Yeah, I'm gonna take a note because you get the other ones where it's like, <laughs> "Hey, is this is this buggy interaction intended?" And it's like, "What do you, are, are you expecting <laughs> me to say yes? If I did say yes, what would you think?" Like, yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> that does remind me. Um, did, did, more have you worked with uh, JD or sorry, uh, Jeffrey Doring? Yes. Okay. Alrighty. It's it's funny to hear you say that uh, the, about like the math, like spreadsheet and math galore, because I remember specifically when I worked with uh, JD at Gearbox, 
that he went through and chased down either a bug or like verified a design uh, for uh, elemental damage. And he created a spreadsheet along with, I think it was Justin Deliberus. Sorry, I'm going back. But that, that literally broke down the elemental damage for this gun against a Love specific it. type of enemy. And I was like, Love it. <laughs> there, there are more there are more of them out there <laughs> that in my veins i love that stuff. all right we've been flirting with it for a little bit but let's make the official transition uh we're going to talk mm-hmm. about more tft related questions so mm-hmm. how did tft start and we've asked a couple people this who worked on the game um mm-hmm. so i'd love to hear your perspective yeah so i think it was like january might have been december January, December, somewhere in there. Uh, Dota Auto Chess was out. Uh, a bunch of people were discovering it and playing it and loving it. Um, but it obviously had a bunch of flaws. Uh, the UI was garbage. Um, the mat- there was no matchmaking other than random. So like you couldn't actually like climb ladders, anything like that. I think people had made that, I forget the name of it, but that custom tool that there was a small group of people using. But Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but everyone was having fun with it. And so uh, I think, you know, Medler and a couple other people saw an opportunity and were like, hey, you know, can we do our version of this? Can we do it better? Can we do it fast? Um, and so they saw an opportunity and decided to pursue it. And I remember I wasn't on the team at the time, but they were like, hey, you should start paying attention to this game. So I put about like 100, 150 hours into auto chess. Mm. And I always remember my first reaction to Medler because I told him, I'm like, this game seems fun, but it also seems really easy to solve. Mm. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, you know, and one of the things that Auto Chess was doing was like smaller balance patches here and there that kept things interesting. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so then the team started working on it, putting it together. I was actually on a separate project at the time. Um, and so, yeah, they started in like February and they finished, you know, I think it went to PBE June 12th. It's been about a year now, actually. Um, so they've worked real fast, real hard, real great. Yep. Um, the game, so it came out June 26th. I joined the team June 1st. Um, so right before they went Correct. live. Um, and that's when I took over as the lead designer, um, which was interesting because, you know, there were a bunch of decisions made that it was like, oh, okay, I see why you might have done that. But is that <laughs> right? You know, and like. Other decisions that were like, wow, this is great. And I see we I see what we have here. And so um, but yeah, and so for me though, it was also like, hey, the TFT team I wasn't on originally, but I'm being given this opportunity. I really have to prove myself, which was another one of those things that's making me feel like I have to give 200 percent It's like, <laughs> do I really deserve to be this game's lead designer? I didn't come up with it, you know. So Yeah um man total auto chess was was a a real enigma it was pretty much it came out of nowhere um there was i mean there's games before that that used similar mechanics Pencils. but yeah yeah like um the pix or the pokemon uh yep. dota one or sorry the the warcraft, warcraft 3, mod. 3 mod yeah yep. um but that was so long ago so yeah it was really cool to mm-hmm. see the resurgence and it, it caught me pretty early um i had i had chess fever so when I heard TFT was coming, I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be, this is gonna be great. I was like really excited for it. I didn't know that you joined so so well late in the dev cycle. That, yep. That's interesting. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Originally, there was a different lead designer, um, and they worked. The team worked on it really hard. Um, credit to that lead designer, for example. They're the ones that came up with uh, hexes as opposed mm. to a chessboard. Okay. Uh, you know. Um, but yeah, and right about the end of the project, uh, they decided that he was going to go back to R&D, um, so moved back on, and needed someone to be the lead designer. And again, I had put the time in and knew about the project, so they asked me to ramp up pretty quickly. Do you well, have, I don't want to. Um... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make you feel like I'm, I'm giving you a false compliment uh, in this. So just prefacing it that it is very genuine. The idea of evaluating where a team started from and then where it is now and the difference, like to see the changes that TFT has gone through um, with you coming on board, right? Like it's just gotten better, you know? And that's, I mean, I think that's the mark of a, a really good lead um, is to be able to continue uh, growth and not hamper it. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to self-deprecate for a second here. Um, <laughs> one of the things I think that's interesting is for the first time in my entire career, I'm working on a game that's kind of a new genre, really. Like, we don't know much about the auto-battler genre. Like, it really wasn't a genre. Um, and so there's a lot of unanswered questions, right? Like, is this game going to be fun a year from now? Five years from now? Ten years from now? What does it take for it to stay fun? Do we have to keep doing these sets? Is there something else we're not seeing? Uh, you know, and to be honest, we haven't been perfect along the way. Uh, Rise of the Elements, for example, we screwed up a lot of stuff in that. We had kind of a, a rough theme that wasn't very exciting. We were like, hey, summoners would be cool. And then we filled the board and made things unreadable. Uh, we didn't have a lot of satisfying spells. Yeah, you know, we like toned down all the spells, and the game felt boring. Um, but as long as you make, and again, this goes back to what I said all the way at the beginning, where it's like go make games and go make mistakes. The advantage of a live service game is we can make those mistakes, learn from them, and make the game better. And Galaxies was sort of like our, oh, okay, here's all the crap that doesn't work. Here's all the crap <laughs> that does work. You know, and so it's like. Yeah, so again, we haven't been perfect, but part of being a good designer is learning, adapting, and doing it better. So before we get too far away from just being a good person in general. <laughs> that's true. If you aren't learning from your mistakes, then you're just going to doom to repeat them. Yeah. Like, yeah. like that, I forget what show that was. Anyway, before we get too far from auto chess, um, I wanted to ask, did you have any favorite comps and, and units that you still remember? Uh, yeah, so I was definitely a big fan of the whole, like, uh, was it Mask of... The thing that Mask did on Prox with Luna... I mean, so Mask of Madness, uh, the Archer was always good. Um, but Luna builds were always fun. Mm -hmm. Kunkka was just, like, a cool unit with the big boat. I think Kunkka's a great example of, like, where we screwed up in Rise of the Elements. Like, having that big ult and that big boat come in, you need those kind of ults, right? Those big, like, as a spectator, it's just fun to watch. Uh, and Kunko was a great example of that in auto chess. So. Yeah, and I think you kind of got that with with Gangplank, who is has some parallels to Gyrocopter. Um, yep. Where I think he has, especially with the mercenary upgrades, um, yep. he has some pretty spectacular ults. Um, I think yeah. Gy Gyro and Shadowfiend were some of my favorite units back. Oh, in the Shadowfiend, day, so. Shadowfiend and Razor builds, AOE builds were a lot of fun. Shadowfiend, just like his ult, like most of his damage came from from autos because of the demon perk. Well, depending on what you built, but. Yep, the alt yep. was so cool. Yep. Man, 
demon in particular was an interesting trait also where it was like you always wanted to have one demon on your team but you could only have one demon on your team and yeah shadow fiend yeah. was just so good you could throw him into any comp and, uh-huh. and you're like should i build yeah. shadow fiend and then you're like later should i throw this doom in should i throw this um and yeah. then they made like a crazy sven or whatever it was i don't play dota so oh yeah the, the demon games. that like if you played all demons became a real build so yeah, the thing, just... like Auto Chess also tried some really weird stuff with like the God build, where it was like if you have no origins active, then like you just got <laughs> you know? CDR. Oh, that was another thing. Um, TFT didn't use like cooldown reduction, and at the time, yeah. or cooldowns, and at the time, I'm like, that's never gonna work. <laughs> you need cooldowns to keep <laughs> people from from breaking the game. But yeah, yeah it's funny because wow. in a way, it it has worked because it's like making these crazy builds that break the game are fun. Uh, I'll always go back to in Rise of the Elements I had a triple serif Soraka so she just instantly was like circle 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 <laughs> and it's hilarious um, but at the same time when you get to that state it's like oh if it can get there too easily this is like oppressive mm-hmm. um, so it has been a balanced challenge but it has been a fun like plus 10 you know and I think I think when you get to the point where um champions are spamming their abilities like super super quickly it can be Mm -hmm. it can go from being like hey this is really fun to being like oh man i have to deal with this uh triple triple serifs whatever um and i think you've you've had a pretty good balance with that with this newest set update there's there's a couple outliers but hey that's what that's what cassiopeia cassiopeia is a little rough right now but yeah yeah cassiopeia is like like, ribbon Riven's a much fun example of that, though. Like her, like dashing around is actually like really cool and really fun. I haven't had a chance to play with her yet. Um, I've always like I always go into a game like saying like, oh, I want to build Chrono this game just to try Riven out, and then I get like the opposite. So I'll get like all the battle casts or all the all the vanguards. I'm like, ah, fine, I guess I won't do that. But that's yeah. still one of the ones that I wanted to go for because it, it's she's like the Chrono, but she doesn't really make use of her autos very much. She's like the spellcaster for Chrono. Um, yeah something something players have to get used to is like with riven she is a great off tank in a chrono build or a blade master build but if you want to make her the star you actually should go sorcerer Mm -hmm. oh oh man this i hope this doesn't evolve into just like everyone sharing their favorite tft moments but i have to do it real quick (laughs) um on pbe when when battlecast and everything first launched um Mm-hmm. One of my favorite moments was I got a Wukong 3 and I put Battlecast, Morellos, and Gunblade on him. Nice. And he was just nice. like spinning around and melting people and healing. Shooting lasers. Yeah, shooting yeah. lasers everywhere. And like, this is this is peak gaming performance. Does not get better than this. Nice. Um, I think nice. Battlecast is a really fun trade. I hope I hope we get to see um, some more tweaks to that in the future because I think it has a lot of potential. Um, I really like Hogmon. Yep. I really like 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 making people battle cast. I think the most fun traits are when you can add it to somebody um and make it like yeah. fun because you can get some crazy stuff with yeah. the base battle cast units, but you can get some really crazy stuff with adding somebody as a battle cast. Yeah. Um Bl- Blade Master Zed I think has been the the star so far. Like Blade Master Zed's pretty fun. Yeah. Oh, Zed, Zed in general just seems like a very fun. I think TFT nails some of the the stacking ability champions like really really well um zed is super fun to play um syndra i think is is another good example she's not technically yeah. stacking but the ultimate gets more powerful the, the bigger orbs yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah um and then to some extent bard where you're just like you're using this unit to gain a stacking um 
advantage over other people. Yeah. I'll, I could talk about yeah. that forever, but yeah. <laughs> so, so how does a set get developed? Like what are the steps involved coming from start to end? Like, how do you align all these different units and traits? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to sum it up, you know, six months of work and as quickly as I can, but <laughs> the, the general idea is first up, we pick a theme. And so this is like, gather the skins and groupings and be like, is there a theme that makes sense here? Um, you know, so for example, with galaxies, it was like, oh, we've got all these project skins and star guardian skins. And like, do we want to do a galaxies theme? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Once you have the theme, it's then, okay, take the however many skins you've got, which for, I think in that was like, there was like 120, 130 we could choose from and start kind of like a puzzle building out the sets, right? Where it's like, okay, well, clearly we want star guardians. Which star guardians do we want? Okay, cool. Now we want project. Uh-oh, but Project needs the same champ that Star Guardian has. Maybe switch a different Star Guardian. It's like you start putting the puzzle together. Um, you also start looking at your skins and you're like, okay, clearly uh, Gun Goddess Misfortune, that's got to be a five cost. So like, cool, we're just going to start with that. Um, you know, and sort of like doing all of that. And eventually you get to a point where like, hey, you've got kind of the shape of a set. Cool. Then you start like labeling down the traits where it's like, okay, so we've got Gunslayers or Blasters. How many do we have? Oh, well, we could use one more. Or, you know, and again, it's just like shifting it all from there. And then once you have all that, then it's like, what are the champion's abilities? And all of this is like anything going wrong at any step, you have to go back one where it's like, oh, uh, Morgana's not working as a Valkyrie. Okay, well, we need to take her out then. Well, that means we need to add a new sorcerer. Well, who's that going to be? You know, it's like very much a back and forth kind of puzzle until you have the nice set that you've got all lined up, ready to go. Do you have any examples of, of a unit that you put in and you weren't really happy with, with their like typings, like their thematics? Uh, well, the one I'll, the thematics. So Morgana was a Valkyrie sorcerer, but the skin she used was the blade mistress. Uh, and that was just kind of a stretch. Morgana as a Valkyrie didn't feel quite right. Um, the spell also as a one cost just didn't feel right. Um, but the other one I always like to tell is in Rise of the Elements, we tried to put Bard in mm -hmm. as a uh, light mystic. Um, and the, the light theming was like, eh, not great. The mystic was fine. But the spell was his ult. It was the like, I'm going to freeze a bunch of people. And when we play tested it, it was like, half the time he's freezing six of my units in one of theirs. <laughs> not fun at all. So, so like a real like Bard. Legal yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Like a real Bard. And so we just couldn't get into a state where we're like, oh, players are going to love buying this guy. So <laughs> we ended up cutting him from Rise of the Elements. Yeah. Um, I was th like, when I saw that Bard was coming to the thing, I'm like, what are they going to do with Bard? Because like his skills are so non, <laughs> I don't like, what are you going to do? But then seeing the XP printer, I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. I, I think that's the joy of designing for TFT, right? Is like, we could have done the obvious stuff, the boring stuff. Like he throws a thing. If it mm. hits two people, they both get stunned. Yep, <laughs> we sure could. But you can, sometimes you want to push the envelope a bit. And credit to Whitrock here, like his very first pitch for Bard was like, he farms meeps and meeps give XP. And I remember the exact comment I wrote was, this is scary, this is weird. Holy <laughs> shit, let's do this. <laughs> you know, and so it's like, so you got to push the envelope sometimes. So what was some, like for any of the sets coming out, like, what was your biggest uh-oh moment when you, when you came to TFT? We were like, oh, no, we, we fucked up. 
Uh, the biggest one I always call back to, there's a couple, but the biggest one from the balance side, I always tell 915 Karthus. I'm like, in 914, Karthus was like, he's kind of weak. We should buff him. And I'm like, these numbers will work. And these numbers were like a 50% buff and he hit four more targets. Ooh. And it turned very quickly into, all right, first one to Karthus wins. Like, that was the 915 meta. It was like, literally, you could be running anything. And it was like, oh, Karthus, I win. Yeah. <laughs> that really, uh, really, really reminded bad. me of, of release Zeus in Auto Chess when Zeus first came out. Oh, yeah. Because he was yep. like, is like, I don't care what I'm doing. I'm just going to throw Zeus in. And his alt does, not only does it do percent damage to all of the units on the board, it also does percent extra damage to the person. So like, yep. if you win the game, they just take half their health. <laughs> they take the double damage. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, that was a, that was yeah, so that game. one was rough. Uh, the other one, this isn't so much an oops as a, like, didn't go hard enough. Uh, so we had a designer who made Pantheon and from set one. And at the time, it was tuned to a certain degree. And I'm like, this feels a little strong. And at the last minute, one of the testers also was like, this seems really strong. So I cut the numbers by like 30%. Like, I'm like, okay, let's just nerf it real bad. That way, if it gets out of control, it won't be that bad. It goes live, and it was the most overpowered insanity. And again, dominated men. I'm like, well, I'm glad I cut it 30%, but... <laughs> Guess I should have yeah. cut it more. I think Pantheon from set one was uh, um, an excellent example of like one of those units that has just a, a, a really cool spell. Um, yep. Like coming in because the sound effects mixed with the, the graphic effects is just a very imposing presence. It does remind me of the Kunka boat a little bit. Um, yeah, there's an important lesson with Pantheon because like you said, like the spell is fine. Did the spell need to do percent health damage and stun and leave the Morello burn. And by the way, he's a dragon, so he's immune to magic damage. Probably didn't need to do all that, you know. Too many hats on the hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, set one was fun. I remember set one. <laughs> uh, set one was a good setup. Um, I what like players always ask for us to bring back set one, and there's a devilish part of me that's like, okay, I'll bring it back, so you can all see how much better it's gotten. <laughs> but then there's like the logical side of me that also is like I kind of don't want to bring it back so people will always have this good memory in their head and not yeah. remember oh right Phantom and Hextech were bullshit <laughs> <laughs> we had um, we had to talk about this last episode with, with Ryan and Ryan's not an engineer or anything like that but we were talking about why um, League Classic couldn't be a thing like why, why, why they can't oh, bring yeah. back season one League um, yep. yeah. and he told this story about how he was talking to an engineer and they're just like it would everything would be on fire the government would sue us <laughs> everything it would just be awful it just uh, it was one little one little thread he's like well we'd have to do this and then it just <laughs> unraveled from there it just <laughs> yep. everything's connected yep <laughs> man i think it's better to look back and, and just enjoy your time instead of like saying okay bring it back we want to we want to do this again more fun to to remember so do you have any traits from any of the sets or even from development that you always loved but weren't very popular? Uh, I'm not going to say it wasn't popular, but my favorite trait from Rise of the Elements was Summoner. Uh, I'm a Malzahar main in League, and the idea of like filling up the board with like plants and minions and stuff uh, just was really appealing to me personally. I'm just like, this will be fun. Uh, but as I kind of alluded to earlier, it was also really bad for the game. 
Uh, players were frustrated by like, there's 20 minions on the board and I can't win. That feels bad. It was also bad for like visual clarity where it's just like, there's a board full of Zeds. I think I'm winning. <laughs> Those Zed versus Zed fights were hilarious, but like nobody knew what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it just it ended up being, like I said, an appealing fantasy that just didn't work in TFT. I think I'm thinking Beyond- everyone. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was, I said, I was going to say, I think everyone really enjoyed, uh, like you said, some of the ridiculous moments that came out of it, though, because I remember seeing, yeah. like, the crazy Zed with, uh, it was either Sojin or Tear or whatever it was, where he would just go infinite really, really quickly. Um, there um, was a moment at All-Stars, which is one of the few competitions we've done, where there was this fight between Sneaky and someone else, I forget who, but basically it came down to Zed versus Sivir, and because the Sivir got the healing on Hand of Justice, the Sivir was able to tear through the Zeds and she had to tear through like 30 or 40 Zeds before overtime <laughs> finally kicked in and then she won. And it was this crazy hype moment. So it, like it definitely generated hype moments, but again, like it was also really hard to understand what was going on. And mm-hmm. anyone in the audience who didn't play TFT was like, what is what? <laughs> so I think we covered this one uh, actually fairly well earlier when you were talking about um, what's something you wish people would stop asking. Like, Stop asking what the best things are. Um, mm-hmm. But what are some of the biggest misconceptions people do have about TFT? So th- I actually have a better answer for this one. Um, one of the things about TFT I don't think a lot of people realize is just how interconnected every system is. And to be honest, we're still learning just how interconnected every system is. Because one of the most common things you get is like, you guys should just add this champion. You guys should just add this thing. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Uh, even from Galaxies to Galaxies Part 2, we added five more champions to the pool, right? One of each cost. That alone changed the entire viability of, like, uh, can you hyper-roll for one cost? Can you hit your three stars? We saw three stars per game go from, like, an average of 18 down to, like, three. Mm. By adding one unit in each pool, uh, changing the the bag drop from... I think it was level five. There used to be 40% chance to get a two cost. We dropped it to 35. That simple 5% drop, massive ramifications to the rest of the game. And then all of that then takes into, okay, so then when do you level? And like when you level changes the entire pace of the game. Mm. Uh, Everything is so interconnected. And this is why like one of the funnier things is like, I get is why do you balance the game so much? Why do you change everything so much compared to like say a Hearthstone? (laughs) Or even League. Like, League doesn't balance nearly as much stuff as we do. And again, the answer is because every piece of content is in every game. In League of Legends, if Olaf is overpowered, you ban Olaf, or he might not show up. Mm -hmm. In TFT, if Olaf is overpowered, he's always there, and he's completely screwing the game over. And so (laughs) TFT is like this super tight-knit system tied to system tied to system tied to system. It's honestly like if you ever want to be a systems game designer, it's like the S plus tier challenge. But a lot of people are like, yeah, just add a new champion. That'll solve everything. And you're like, dude, no. We need another, we need another chrono. Get on it. Add chrono bar or can, something. Can we just add void staff? That'll that'll be fine. That way we have magic penetration. Okay, well, if you do that, then that means sorcerers have to go down, and that means mystic is it's just like domino effect. Yeah. Um All right, well, this was something um, I had some. Oh, I had okay. some suggestions for Mort, but I'm going to go ahead and make those. 
later. Uh, uh-huh. We had a whole list of items that were going to blackmail you into adding into the game, but I guess we'll just uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, but even we didn't really understand the ramifications of like going from fifty-two to fifty-seven. You know, we were trying to like adjust the bag systems. We finally got it in a good spot for fifty-two, and then we shifted to fifty-seven, and it's like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're starting to think like god maybe we always have to have the exact same number of champions at any given time what does that mean for our content releases that means we can't drip new champions in because we're locked at a certain number unless we also pull and like and again that's why i keep going back to like we're still learning about this genre as we go a bit too that was uh what you said about the the every bit of content is in every game that really just hit me and i was like i didn't think about that when comparing it to a game like league where it's like hey in league, there can be some broken stuff, but at least you have. It's not in every game. Um, mm-hmm. But for TFT, you're you're 100 right. It's, it's yeah, I, I like I like the Hearthstone comparison, right? Where like there can be an overpowered deck, like you know, Patron Warrior. Sure, okay, fine, but not every game's going to have a Patron Warrior. There's going to be a lot of them, but some games won't. Again, TFT, every item, every item, it's in every game. Yeah. So that's that was perfect answer to that question um and i wanted to to just bounce off of that with another league comparison for some of the people who don't play tft in the audience um in league we we were talking about how even indirect changes can can have massive effects on um champions win rates and popularity and stuff like that and there was actually a post today um i don't know the name of the guy but on reddit there's somebody who does a excellent interview every patch he'll go down and oh yeah yeah i he'll have like a, a win rate and play rate increase and decrease per patch. And mm-hmm. at the end of that, he'll do all the ones that got changed. But at the end of that, he'll have like a, a little box at the bottom of all the champions yep. who changed win rate, but didn't receive any changes. And he, he writes his thought about it, but you can draw your own conclusions. But a lot of the times it's like, why did Annie become stronger? Is it because Cassiopeia was nerfed? Is it because this person, like there's so many, and, and that's for yep. league where there's only 10 champions a game for TFT. I imagine it's like, multiplied by a thousand or well tft is even worse because like at least in league you can be like win rate win rate of champ high bad <laughs> tft you can't do that yeah so, like the best example i have is shadow in rise of the elements there was a patch where it was actually like really good the win rate was like the win rate at stage five one was like 70 percent the, the very next patch we didn't change anything but players caught on to it, and they're like, we changed other stuff around it, so Shadow became better. And players caught on to it, and they learned, they're like, oh, Shadow, and Shadow became, like, a really popular comp. Players were begging for a hotfix. The win rate went down. And the win rate went down because so many more people were playing it, and so many more people were playing it, which skews the averages, and means a bunch of people are playing it wrong. Yeah. And, like, when we look at the TFT data, there is so much you have to parse, where it's like, I'll use Bard as a great example. Bard's win rate is atrocious. Does it mean he's <laughs> bad? Hell no. You know, because you can't see the invisible so power he's providing chasing, you. They're chasing the dream yeah. of Bard. Yeah. Um, I love and so that. now we've actually had to look at, like, we're getting, re- like, our data analysts are doing really good in adding new stuff here. Like, we just got the ability to look at, okay, if you have Bard in 2-1, what is the odds you top 4? What is the odds you top 1? Mm-hmm. And how does, like, yeah. his win rate might be 40%, but your odds to top four might be 62%. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what does that mean? Does, is he overpowered? Is he underpowered? You know, right. like, 
And again, that's why I keep going back to like it's so many inter like intertwined decisions and systems that it's not as simple as like champ good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't envy people uh, the data scientists at Red at all. We actually have uh, Blastoise coming on next week, fingers crossed. Um, mm -hmm. And he he doesn't currently work in data or he works in R and D right now, but he he spent yeah. a lot of time as a data scientist. So we're gonna get to talk to him a lot about like more specifics about data, but it's going to be a good conversation because like you said, like there's so much to parse. Like there's, there's yep. for TFT. I, I don't, I don't think he works on TFT. He works on, I don't know what he exactly works on. We'll figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or right. he works at R and D. That's I mean, yeah. And, yeah. And that's, even, even with data, right? Like you could have all the data in the world, but how you choose to interpret that data is just yep. so dangerous. Uh, yeah. I'm actually a pretty big data skeptic where I'm like, yeah, but have you thought through all the reasons why you got this data? Uh, you know, and so, yeah, it's, and that's the thing, like, one of the reasons players are like, oh, can you share with the data with us? And I'm like, nope. Because <laughs> the first thing you'll do is go, number high, bad. And yeah. I'm like, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so uh, good. Context. That's, that's exactly what has happened with League, where where League has some, some of the most in-depth data websites, like third-party data websites that, that I've mm -hmm. ever seen, where you'll have win rates of, specific keystones or specific yep. items that people build and the first thing that people don't look at um when they see that is they don't they don't see the um uh, the play rate they don't look at the how many people are actually playing this so yep. uh, it's just yeah it's so easy to misinterpret data i'll i'll, <laughs> I'll start what? to wrap my my tangents up because i know we're going long um let's try to get through these last few questions and then we'll we'll sign off so um this is actually a good question going off of that uh what does influence changes on tft like what percentage is player feedback versus the actual data that you look at so it's actually three things uh the first one is as you said player perception you know we're listening and players are like this is too good okay cool we hear you we, we know what the player perceptions are we read all the tier lists that people make we see all the stuff okay cool that's player perception the second is the data uh and we can look at the data and be like okay cool so like, hey, it says Darkstar, the data says Darkstar's overpowered, but no one's playing it. Hmm, we should figure that out. Uh, and then the third is actually like design intention. And what I mean by that is like, hey, the designer had a vision for this when they made it. Is it living up to that vision? Uh, you know, a great example of this was Singed in uh, set two, Rise of the Elements. The designer was always like, I want to have Singed running around, tanking stuff and being poisonous. And players are like, He's overpowered. Uh, we should nerf his tankiness. And it's like, well, no. Designer vision was that he'd be a tank. So actually, we need to nerf his damage. You know, stuff like that. And that's where you take those three things and you weigh them all together. And that's what you use to make decisions. Yeah, I think that is, it's definitely important to look at um, that. Because like you said, if we just nerf his tankiness, you can't just nerf the, what's strong about every champion or every unit. Because then you'll just end up with something milk toast that's just like, He's not really good at anything. He's sort of just there. Um, yep. yep. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, Urgot's a great example of this because like everyone's like he shouldn't be able to one shot stuff, and it's like okay, well clearly the designer vision here is he one shot stuff. So, <laughs> so the question is, how do we make him one shot stuff in a way that feels fair mm -hmm. or isn't over? You know, like there are definitely things to improve there, but it isn't just like he shouldn't be able to one shot stuff. 
and then I don't know how much of a perspective you have into this, but I figured I'd ask, um, where do you see TFT in the esports ecosystem? So, yeah, uh, the TLDR is I definitely want it to happen. Um, but the big thing that I can definitely talk about is like a lot of people are like, oh, is it going to be like LCS? And the answer is like, no, not a chance in hell. Uh, <laughs> we, we see it closer to World Series of Poker is the comparison mm. we always use, where it's like anyone can win. Big tournaments, big things, but anyone can win. And so it's like, if you imagine there's a time where you show up, play 20 games, and if you do well, move on to the next stage, you know, and like win big. Um, that's sort of what we imagine. Smash Brothers is also a great comparison where it's like, even if Riot's not hosting it, I imagine lots of other people are doing it. Shout out to Giant Slayer. They've been doing a great job with this. Um, but yeah, just like tournaments structured like that, that people can win and win prize pools. That's kind of where we see TFT esports. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, last question. And it's the most important question. We've saved the best for last. Yeah, Everyone's dying to know. <laughs> what is the best Little Legend? And this isn't just like objective or no, no, subjective. No. This is objectively, which is the best. Yeah. We need data, we need hard points, and we need facts. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I mean, so if you go by data right now, it's probably Victorious uh, uh, Furyhorn. Ah, that's that's okay. certainly the most popular because everyone <laughs> just got that and they're like, let me show it off. Um, I'm going to say it's Squink, specifically Fruity Tootie Squink. Uh, there you go. Because it's okay. great. And that control two spam is hilarious. <laughs> uh, the new one, Nixie, is actually S tier for annoying your opponents. The control oh, one good. spam, she makes this sound where it's like, <laughs> you're just like, oh my God, shut it off. It's the. Uh, it actually the, beats uh, Silverbeak. Yeah, it beats Silverbeak. Silver <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, those. And I think Pengu is just like, gets extra points for just being like the mascot of TFT. Pengu. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. like the Mario. Yeah. He's Pengu. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those, those would be the ones I would have. It's the dab. Yeah, my, <laughs> my friend group, um, they really don't appreciate how the uh, the Nico one looks. It just unnerves them. <laughs> so I love hearing you say yeah. that. That's, that's number <laughs> one for. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, Mort, for coming on the show. We went for, for longer than I thought we would. So appreciate you sticking around. Um, if you guys haven't already, I'm sure everyone here is familiar with Mort, but. Check out his Twitter at Mortdog or his YouTube. I think it's just slash Mortdog, right? Yep. Yep. I think it's all just Mortdog. Mortdog on YouTube and Twitch. Check him out. Um, daily videos now? Yeah. I, I, I try to post one a day um, and I stream usually on the weekends for five hours or so. Cool. Yeah. So check him out there. Um, I personally am in there at least every now and then. I try to, I try to catch them. Um, and then the YouTube is always, like you said, it's way easier to catch those when you're not. Um, yep able to catch the live stream so check those out and if you're a fan of dev dive uh check out the live stream here twitch.tv slash nighthawk 20,000 uh if you can't catch the show live is um check us out on youtube youtube.com slash nighthawk 20,000 we have the full vods up the show on pretty soon after the the podcast goes live so don't worry about that and if you don't have time to watch an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes uh check out the dev dive highlights <laughs> playlist i'll take um interesting clips from throughout the show and i'll try to upload them to there so easily shareable easy uh watchable clips so if you like that check those out and as always if you like listening in the traditional format spotify itunes google podcast and more uh give us a follow on those platforms and a rating if you want helps grow the show and thanks to the listeners for coming out and listening and watching for 
the 13th time. Have a good day, everyone. Bye.